Sometimes, we take things around us for granted. We often need to remember that there are people behind the scenes diligently working, making a difference. Luckily, sometimes those individuals receive the recognition they deserve. Dr. Denise Coe was the recipient of the FWN's 2023 Most Influential Filipino Women in the World Award. She and other doctors also collaborated on a new book examining AI in the healthcare system. Let's get into it. There was actually um, a study, and I'll have to look into it a little bit more, about just having your phone within arm's reach can reduce your attention span. Just having it around you. I'm not surprised. You. It's true, though. You know what? I'm like, I'm always aware of my phone. I'm like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? And I, and yeah, I distract. Them. So people are saying that you know, even if you just put it in a drawer somewhere, like if you're working, just put it in a drawer. It's as long as you can't. I, see I'm it. bad. I have it. Like sometimes I fall asleep and it's by my head, and you're not supposed to do that. I do it all the time. Too. It's like <laughs> I'm just gonna listen to something. Yeah. While I fall asleep. Well, I listen to my hypno, which is a good thing, but I guess I can put the actual phone over there and then. Yeah, figure well, it out. Life has changed so much, sort of things. Like, like I know, I know. We we fall asleep with our phones. We wake up with our phones. Yeah. I would be interested in seeing how long time consequences of screens and cell phones and everything like that. Eyesight has gone down a lot. People's eyesights are de- deteriorating way quicker than it used to, and I mean, it's likely screens that we're looking at all day that's causing that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there there are, have been already some studies that are, that are showing uh, the screen time. So any kind of screen um, is basically associated with decreased attention. Um, I'm pretty sure it's also. Um, I think there's a higher likelihood of depression. Um, and so there's also like psychological um, effects as well. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why there's so much push to like decrease the screen time for kids. But, I, you know, I think it's one thing to do that for kids and then all of a sudden you're an adult and you're fine. But it's like, no, probably there's things there too, right? It's just so interesting. Life for humans has changed so much. <laughs> I know. Back in those days, running on the savannah, hunting the zebra. And now here we are cell phones, I know. you know, we have uh, billionaires trying to make commercial flights just off of the edge of the atmosphere sort of thing. Oh, oh yeah, so yeah, I know. It is really, just when you look back at this, and I think we talked about it in our last discussion that we yeah. had, but just how it's almost surreal that it's changed so much. I think there's been a lot of really great things, but there's also been a lot of disturbing, like really disturbing things that are going on. You know, obviously there's a lot of really terrible things. Um, So kind of makes me wonder about. Well, life is hard. And from my perspective, that's why we need to make more efforts to connect with people, to learn who they are, invite someone over, make a friend. If you're in an apartment building, go see your neighbors or something like that. Like, get to know someone. Well, anyways, thank you for tuning in to another episode of You Talk. Today, our guest is Dr. Denise Ko. Uh, you might recognize her from some of our projects such as Doc Talk Manitoba and Together We Can. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's a really big time for you right now. An award winner and you've got a book on the way. But how about we just chat a little bit about how you've been doing? I've been doing really well. From, I think, the last time that we talked, um, we were going, like, it was still 
It was basically after or near the end of the pandemic. So we talked a lot about how stressful that was um, and how much work that was. Um, so yeah, I've been doing really well. I've been focusing on, uh, you know, getting back to like the regular work, um, you know, in my government jobs. Um, but then I've also been doing a few other things on the side. So um, book writing is one of the things I, I decided for myself, this is what I want to do. I want to be an author. So I went out and, and got it. And you did it. Yes. <laughs> How do you even get into the process of writing a book? So I, I, for a lot of people, it might be something of like, oh, yeah, I'd love to like get my ideas onto page. But how even start to approach that? Because it's not just putting things out. You really got to structure it. This one was an easier one. So what this one, um, what this book was about was basically I was on a, a Facebook group of physicians. We were talking about um, artificial intelligence. And then um, one of the doctors, Dr. Schaefer, uh, she basically said, well, why don't we write a book about it? And so she got a number of people who were interested, and then we each wrote our own chapter. So it was basically a chapter that was, you know, looking at AI, but from the perspective of our own specialty. So, and, you know, you can talk about your story and, you know, whatever kinds of experiences um we each had individually, you know, in medicine that had to do with AI or that had to do with the points we were making. So um, that's what I did. So we were able to get a group and yeah, there's 15 of us um, doctors, all female. I'm the only Canadian doctor in there. Um, they're all American doctors. Um, yeah, and I basically wrote about my experiences with the pandemic, um, some of my, you know, life experiences and some of the struggles that I've I've had to deal with really move forward. And um, I, well, I talked a lot about the da the data, which I think we talked about last time as well. Mm -hmm. But how sometimes the capture of the data it really does dictate the policies that come from them. So if you're capturing the wrong data or you're ignoring, you know, certain pieces of data that can lead to basically racist or sexist or sort of any of the yeah, IST policies. So, you know, there were some things that I really was frustrated with during the pandemic, um, you know, which I, which I talk about in my book. Just to follow up on that a little bit, when you're talking about having the correct data, you know, just reading online and some of the challenges that we've seen in terms of different areas of AI facial recognition software doesn't really work well for darker complexions or people with a lot of melanin. It's something that engineers and designers have to be cognizant of when designing the AI. A lot of times when they're putting through the faces, it's usually white male faces. So it, it can be a challenge sometimes when you're like, okay, it, who is this person? It kind of like blankets everyone with a darker skin tone. So when people hear online racist AI, it's like, what? how can a robot or an algorithm do it? It's like, no, 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 no. It's about the process of getting that information in there. And making that determination, right? Like, so this might be what the technology is telling you or the robot is telling you, but you don't have, you still have to be the one to decide to pay attention to it or what that's going to mean. And that, you know, that also takes into consideration the limitations of that technology. Yeah. And yeah. So there's lots of things, you know, that we have to really be careful with. But at the same time, right now, it's also a time of, 
you know, a lot of possibility and, you know, options. And the tech really has improved and, and basically blown up in a way that we can really take advantage of that and help our, you know, our lives and healthcare, you know, much you know, better. Yeah, we can it, we can function better, basically, with it. It's a great tool. AI can really help things, whether that is giving prompts for creative writing or things like that, or helping in terms of AI-generated images can help give you an idea. I know some people were worried and still are worried about, you know, what AI can mean for various industries, but I see it as a tool. It's about making sure that we're not just accepting the AI thing because I've read a number of AI generated scripts and some concepts are interesting but it is not great there was a whole AI generated episode of South Park that I watched it's bad it's so unfunny the animation is so but they actually blessed. say this is AI generated yeah, kind yeah, of thing yeah, oh interesting yeah. I, I think it was fan made if I re remember correctly but it's it's definitely not a replacement, but we have to make sure because the worst thing would be a bunch of executives get it and then all our movies are AI generated and we're definitely going to feel it then. Yeah, like I think and I think that's part of it too is just the idea that I mean there is that worry that this technology will take over you know, the arts, you know, either like writing or, but that's part of the issue that, you know, that this book touches on is the idea that we really do need to have the human element in there and you can't lose that um, because it's, it's a little bit scary what you can end up with if you lose that human element. I think it's just fun though, coming together, a collaborative approach to look at the industry, just uh, maybe just uh, to, to, clue us in a little bit more about how AI is being utilized in medicine. Can you just explore a little bit about, you know, some of the different techniques or technologies that is being used to help to help individuals? I can't say I know a lot of all the different types of um, AI that's being used. I know that it's in well, different probably industries. probably as many as there are the stars in the sky. <laughs> but I mean, I think of it like there's some things that we can use sort of personally um, that can really help with efficiency, basically. So like you were mentioning about the, you know, helping with writing, for instance, and prompts and how to structure, um, you know, documents, that kind of thing, you know, sort of the, the more kinds of tasks that take a lot of time. Um, that's where the AI can really be helpful for. But I know that it was also used, or I've, I'd heard that it was also used in with like COVID. I think it can be used for um, like resource uh, allocation because you can actually take a lot of data and then you can analyze that and then basically come up with, for instance, you know, where are the best places? If you look at the map, where is the best places in that population where we should be allocating these resources? So I know that that's an option or a possibility. I don't know which, you know, jurisdictions are actually doing that, but you know, I think that there is some looking into that. The technology is there yeah. to utilize. Oh, That's yeah. so cool. We have so much data. Like, we have access to so much data. It's now a matter of making the connections, making sure that data is clean, and then making the decision to use it, use the AI for good things. Just kind of when you're talking about collecting the data and utilizing it to find different areas, that just reminded me of a conversation I had a while back about the potential that we opened with testing wastewater and everything like that in terms of COVID and just being able to check for things 
in a more ethical manner of seeing like, okay, what's actually going on at community? What sort of health and things are happening in there? And I think it's just so fascinating, this potentially untapped potential of study there. For me, I realize so much the the potential with AI right now that I'm, I pretty much look at everything I do now in terms of I should probably record this or get this recorded in a manner that like capture the data from this in a manner that we'd be able to actually use this consistently going forward. You have to start somewhere and you have to collect something like in a consistent manner. And, you know, everybody kind of agree that that's the way you're going to uh, measure the scientific it method. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So it's like things like that, you know, in government, I, I think it's been difficult because a lot of the things we just do and we don't necessarily um, record it or we record it in an inconsistent way from each other, then it makes it harder to do. However, we do have AI or AI could be used to actually go through that data and mine that data and then come up with something you know, better. So, I mean, you can actually use the technology to help with these issues that you're dealing with. Yeah, make things more efficient, streamline a lot of the procedures and the approaches to it, and as well as create that consistent paper trail for be like, what the heck did we do before on this certain thing? Instead of like going through files like, okay, what did I name it? Well, now we have this consistent thread that you can find things. Yeah, and I think like, I know that um, other uses of AI, there's some use of it, I think, in electronic medical records. Mm -hmm. So there's some pieces of it that you can actually, you know, make more automatic, which then will should help with the healthcare workers or physicians, in, in my case, make decisions faster. And so, you know, again, it's about efficiency. Um, I know that there's some AI that's related to, like, basically um, being able to detect certain, in text, for instance, like histories of, like, patient histories and being able to sort of detect for, you know, potential clues um, as to whether that person might be suicidal or there might be some red flags that are within whatever the text is basically saying. So, I mean, there's different ways that you can use um, use it. I know that I think there's also been th some things related to surgery. Um, I haven't reviewed all of the all of the chapters yet, so I, I'm still going through some of that. But there's lots of different things that are like amazing. Well, of course, all of this sounds absolutely amazing and I'm excited to read through it myself. So let's see if I can get this correct. It is the Artificial Intelligence in Medicine, a compilation of stories from doctors of a, from across multiple disciplines on breakthroughs, challenges, and potentials in the healthcare system. And that came out October 17th. It's not just a book coming out. That's exciting news. You were recognized for an award. But let's go through some of the previous ones first. <clears throat> the Canadian Occupational Safety's Top Women in Safety 2022 Award Winner. Canada's Most Powerful Women Top 100 Award Winner. The Canadian Tire Community Impact Category. And now the Global FWN's 2023 Most Influential Filipino Women in World Award Winner. Innovator and thought leader. So that's incredibly exciting. Why don't you just walk me a little through, well, first of all, your reaction to receiving this award and just a little bit about the award and the category. Yeah, no, I, I was just flabbergasted, really. And it was a funny way that I um, got nominated. So it was somebody who was like a you know, social media contact. Um, so never met this person. And basically, yeah, it came in my, like my DMs 
And I was like, I'd like to, you know, nominate you for this kind of thing. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, it was a little bit like, uh, you know. I know. So, yeah, I mean, that was just, uh, you know, amazing. Of course, I was like, yeah, I'm down. I'm down with that. That what you're what you're putting down. I'm I'm wanna I wanna go for that. It, I was really flabbergasted about it and just you know amazed and yeah no I mean I feel it feels amazing. It feels great um, to be you know recognized in that way. So so it's innovator and thought leader. So why don't you tell me a little bit more uh, about this category and all it implies sort of thing. I mean, obviously through our conversations, we know how dedicated and invested you are in your work, but it'd be interesting to just see, you know, what what is the criteria and things that they're looking at for this award? Yeah, well, basically the Innovator Award, um, it recognizes Filipino women who've broken new ground in the global workplace and delivered unique applications of emerging, emerging technology. I'm basically reading this description because there's yeah, a little worries. mouthful here. <laughs> Um, it says, w women who have influenced how people think in business, education, sports, literature, journalism, the arts, and pop culture, improving the lives of others by developing a product or service in the fields of finance, science, engineering, fashion, publishing, cuisine, architecture, film, and entertainment. So this award category is also for someone who has launched a new enterprise, a learning function, or completely overhauled an existing way of doing things, resulting in a new development or community initiative. So it's a mouthful, but it's, yeah, no, I, it's amazing. Well, it's exciting to be recognized. And I just think it's always great to not only celebrate women in business, the workforce, and uh, all the STEM fields, but particularly women of color, when we're looking at the sciences in general for like, how long have the achievements of women been kind of either glanced over or stolen right from them? Mary, like I love paleontology. Mary Anning is one of those women discovered the ichthyosaur fossil out in the UK. And, you know, a lot of her accomplishments and what she brought to paleontology for so long was just kind of glanced over. I think that's a particular, well, it's definitely something that I've experienced in my career, feeling a little bit under-recognized and maybe a little bit undervalued. The award in and of itself is, is just great because it feels like validation. It's like, yeah, I really worked really, really hard for that thing or whatever those things were. So that piece of it is really important to me. Um, and then the, I think the other part of it, too, is with this particular award is that it's it's Filipino women. You know, and I've been reflecting on this quite a bit. Um, I'm Canadian born. Um, my parents were, you know, came from the Philippines. And and I find that my Filipino-ness or, Fili you know, the fact that yeah. I'm Filipina, that has been not a very prominent part of my life, um, even though it's a huge Thing about me that kind of describes or, you know, it explains who I am, basically. Growing up in a Filipino household is different. Yeah. So, I mean, in that way, but I, I find, you know, in the workplace and maybe in medicine for a number of years, I haven't really been promoting that side of myself. It's really nice because that's something that I've really been stepping into is the fact that yeah, no, I'm I'm a Filipina. That's specific, and yeah, you know. celebrating those things, and also making waves in diversity. Mm -hmm. um, from so many different studies, all we find time and time again, and one of the studies explored the U.S. military that 
diversity, not only in diversity of thought, but in diversity of people. Whatever your background, having more diversity and celebrating that diversity and working together is only beneficial. I very much agree with that. Um, represent, representation really, really does matter. And yeah, a lot of the work that I'm doing, um, particularly with worker groups um, and looking at vulnerable worker groups, um, a lot of that comes out in, in, the, in the research. Um, so yeah, basically racialized worker groups tend to be, you know, either having, like it depends on what kinds of things you're measuring, but essentially there are issues related to worsening health outcomes, um, experiencing more difficulty with returning to work if they've suffered from an injury at work. Uh, I know that that has been studied. Um, yeah, there's, so there's more research coming out there and more studies coming out there um, that are looking into that more, like the race piece of things. Um, but it's not even just race, it's also, you know, women in the workplace, you know, people who are, you know, from different... People who aren't white men. <laughs> yeah, basically, if you're not white and you're not a man, yeah, there's probably some things that you got to make sure you, you know, look at and yeah, be visible I, I... in your work so that we have to kind of break down, not even kind of, I keep saying kind of, we have to break down the white male narrative um, about the workplace um, that needs to go. That's super old. We need to just toss that. <laughs> yeah, there's no place for that moving ahead. All it does is limit potential, slow progress. Yeah, the, I mean, there's a lot of studies also that show that, you know, workers who are not that, um, that category, you know, do extremely well in the workplace and sometimes even better. So, for instance, there's some research out there about female physicians compared to male physicians um, with better outcomes in terms of their patients. So things like that um, really goes with, yeah, we need to have more representation, more diversity within the workplace to really get those talents out there and not it be so you know, white bread. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> yeah. no, it's okay. I understand it completely. Like there's so many different industries and places where it's who you know or like who you're related to that kind of you just kind of get ushered in to position and it doesn't necessarily take into account people who are working for the role. Uh, not to say deserve, like not to say deserving, but are the right person for the job right. sort of thing. They are dedicated, they have the experience, they have the knowledge to really benefit that organization or that industry. Well, and it's and it's not even just the workplace, but even like boards and organizations, right, where they're making decisions. If everybody around the table looks exactly the same and is sort of the same demographic, usually the decisions that come out of it, you know, one way. Yep. Um, and yeah, that, that ends up with an organization or a table or whatnot that has a lot of blind spots. I call them blind spots because that's essentially what it is. Because, you know, there's no consideration for non-white, non-men kind of thing. Uh, of course. Like, let's say I was on a board, I would have a different perspective exactly. than what the general perspective is as a, a younger queer man. But my perspective, I'm going to have those blind spots uh, for things that you might notice. Yep. Yep. And so it's really important to have that and to have that dialogue. And, you know, I think that also helps with just the understanding and, you know, being able to 
yeah, it helps to break down racism as well and other other of the isms. So. All the isms. Yeah. All the isms. Yeah. Well, I just want to say again, congratulations Thank you so much. on the award. You deserve it. Um, and just kind of to wrap things up, you're mentioning that you're wanting to kind of get more involved in writing, becoming an author. What are some other potential ideas that you may have to uh, explore in the future? Well, I want to go more into um, the pandemic and really the learnings from it. I don't think um, we've done a really good job with it. And I, I again, I think we talked about this a little bit last time when it's almost like we're just so over the pandemic kind of thing. We don't really want to think about it too much. But I think that there's a lot of learning there that we could really use to take forward, um, particularly at the system level, to really make sure that next time, I think there's going to be a next time or there's going to be something like that, we'll be more prepared and we'll have more structures in place to really, really help with dealing with that. The other thing I, sh I should have mentioned about the award is that it's a working award. So it's actually one where we are supposed to, like the awardees are supposed to pitch a project. So it's a two-year oh, project. that's fun. So my project, it has to basically uplift and support and empower Filipino women in my own community. What I'm going to be doing is pitching my project, which is related to Filipino caregivers and Filipino nurses. So those two groups are really dear to my heart because I, I had done a lot of training and I, I did some research on that during my training a number of years ago. But I find that those groups are particularly vulnerable for a number of reasons um, that, you know, make it, you know, hard for them in terms of their health. But also there's, there's, negative effects on their families as well as to the Philippines because it's very it's a very gendered recruitment that has been going on for a long time and so you know it, it's crazy like when I went down to do my master public um, in the Philippines you know that's you see that everywhere it's like signs big signs everywhere of like yeah learn to become a nurse and go you know abroad and so it's it's foreign to me or it's strange to me to think about the idea of you know, where you live, and there's this huge push to have me go elsewhere in my own home, right? And what does that mean? Or what does that mean to like, the mentality there? And what sort of impact does that have as a whole? Right. And so, like, I really think that, you know, that's another issue that I, you know, I'd like to do something about is just how the reason Filipino workers, particularly the nurses, caregivers, et cetera, are so valuable. Well, they're valuable because they're, you know, excellent workers, mm -hmm. but also because there is that divide. And if you look at sort of the socioeconomic, the rich countries are taking from the poor countries, right? And they're taking valuable resources. Colonialism still in play. Yeah. And I, th I just think we get like, I'm not saying don't come to Canada because Canada is awesome. But I think we can structure it better so that we give more back and also ensure that their experience is a lot more like the minimum health and safety, you know, uh, standards are, are met. So, you know, there's lots of things there. But my particular project is more related to empowering them and using the hypnotherapy that I do, yeah. you know, in my burnout program. I'm planning on revising or tailoring the burnout boot camp that I already created um, to have some trauma-informed pieces to it, some healing pieces to it, um, anti-racism, a little bit more about, like, understanding workplace rights 
um, things like that. So there's a number of things that I'm working on with this. It's very ambitious. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go for it. I'm really excited to see how that sort of pans out. You mentioned it was like two-year work program sort of thing. Okay. Wow. That's really exciting. Well, anyways, Dr. Denise Ko, thank you so much for coming on, talking about your book, talking about the award, as well as talking about what's going on in our communities and just in our workplaces. These conversations are incredibly important. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, it's an honor. Have any stories you'd like us to share or communities we should highlight? Leave a comment on our social media or reach out to us on our website. I'm Ryan Funk. This was You Talk. And have yourself a good one. <laughs>